Hello, hello? 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 Don't... What? Oh, I don't know. Can you see me? No, but I can see me. <laughs> oh, okay. Wait. Um... Oh, yeah, I can see you now. Oh, good. <laughs> so, so, here we are. That's me, Skyping someone who's super close to me. She has a story which I've never heard. I mean, I know vaguely what happened, like a kind of, I did this and then this happened and now I'm here, but no details, no actual story. I've never been able to bring myself to hear it because it was too much. It's a traumatic story. And because of that, I should just quickly warn you that in this episode, you'll hear strong language and descriptions of sexual assault. So anyway, this is me hearing her story for the very first time on Skype and you're going to hear it for the first time with me. You have found that 19% of people would use the word feminist as an insult. We think the 19% are wrong. Feminism isn't an insult, it's a necessity and a movement to be proud of, and we're here to tell you why. This is the first of five stories in our podcast mini-series which celebrates International Women's Day 2016. Five women, five stories, five episodes. One story told every single day. From URN, this is The 19%. I'm Anya Lawrence. So we spoke on Skype, but had a few problems with connectivity. So to put it bluntly, the quality of the sound is not good. You can still hear her speaking and what she's saying, but sometimes it's a little bit jumpy. So I'm sorry about that, but stick with us. Her story is worth it. When this happened, she was living in Basingstoke and was only 23, so pretty much my age. She hadn't been living there long, maybe for four weeks, and she had a black Labrador who she still reminisces about. He used to eat a lot of weird things and pull junk out of ponds. Anyway, she used to take the dog for walks in a park close to where she lived, and that's where the story starts. Walking with her dog in this park. And the park had um, like a little woodlands bit, not a very big woodlands bit, and sometimes I used to walk through there. And on this particular day, I did walk through there. And then suddenly, I just sensed that something, that somebody was following me. I just felt it in my body. Yet every time I looked around, there was nobody there. So um, I decided to carry on walking through the woods rather than like doing a loop around. And then and, um, and rather than walking back through the woods, I decided to go down the field and head towards the road, <clears throat> thinking, well, it's really strange because I could sense somebody was following me, yet I couldn't see anyone. She said she felt like it was some sort of animal instinct and she couldn't explain it. Like when a gazelle knows it's going to get pounced on by a lion, it feels it, even if it can't see the lion. So then when I decided to walk down towards the road, my first instinct was to walk towards a, to walk towards the parade of shops which was nearby. 
but then it was my mind that said, ah, oh, no, you're just imagining things. You know, if you just walk along the pavement, along this busy road at the edge of the park and then walk back towards the car that way, everything will be all right. Because this busy road also had houses across the road and there was also a petrol station there. And I thought I would be safe. So then I started walking along this pavement <clears throat> And um, and then suddenly this guy just came running up behind me and he grabbed me and he had um, a pair of scissors in his hand and he just grabbed me from behind and he just put the pair of scissors at my throat with his arm around um, the other side of me. And um, he was very um, agitated and nervous and shaking and then that suddenly made me feel very nervous as well because I couldn't quite um, process quickly enough as to what was happening. So then he was started to tell me to effing shut up and that he was going to effing rape me and um, and you know he was just really agitated. So we started walking back towards the woodlands <clears throat> and he had um, he continued having his hand over my shoulder with a pair of scissors at my throat and then his other arm sort of over me as well. And um, and then we started heading up towards the woodlands. So I was kind of still processing all this and I was feeling a bit shaky to start with. But I think because we were walking, it, it just sort of helped to calm me down a little bit. And I was sort of saying, oh, you know, sort of what do you want? What are you going to do? Oh, you know, I'm gonna, I'll do everything that you say. Just don't hurt me and stuff. And I think because I started talking a bit more calmly, um, then he started calming down a little bit. And then, and then we got to the woodlands and... Um, I think really he had calmed down quite a bit. He still had the pair of scissors um, at my at my neck, and um, but then he basically started sort of touching me up and started sexually assaulting me. And and all this time as well was that um, when he grabbed me, the dog was quite a long way away. And then by the time we got to the woodlands, the dog um, joined us again, and the dog just sat there keeping guard so I remember thinking in my mind oh god if only the dog knew what was going on and then the dog would do something but obviously he didn't <clears throat> and then um, so this guy started sexually assaulting me and I had already said that I would do everything that, that he wanted and, and that um, I felt that that was my best option really. This wood wasn't isolated in the park, there were still people walking around. It was 2pm in the afternoon in the bright daylight. In fact, she saw a woman walk past them in the distance. The whole time, she was thinking about how she could get away, and when that woman walked past, it gave her an idea. She suggested to her attacker that they should go somewhere more private. He sort of stopped and he sort of said, oh yeah, maybe. And then because things had calmed down quite a bit, I then said, well, actually, um, why don't you just let me go now and then I won't say anything to anybody I'll just literally I'll just I'll just go and I won't say anything to anyone and then he just totally turned again and he started strangling me and then he said um, oh I can't let you go now you're seeing what I look like now and you'll go straight to the police and I can't have you do that and I what I what went through my mind was just this picture of headlines in the newspaper saying you know, a woman found you know raped and strangled in you know, in this park, in the woodlands. So then what I did was that I sort of said, oh yeah, I'm really sorry, really sorry, I shouldn't have said that. And I just totally reversed it and, and changed it. And then he sort of calmed down again. And then I said, well, we still need to 
go and find somewhere a bit more quiet. And I say, well, maybe the dog's attracting attention as well. So maybe we need to go and put the dog in the car or something. And like I said, all this time, just sort of thinking about, well, how can I get away? How can I get away? I'm just going to pause for a moment to think about that situation that she was in. I feel like I have a lot of hypothetical conversations with myself about what I would do if I was attacked. How would I defend myself? How would I plead with my attacker? I've even had those conversations with friends. Like, a guy I know showed me some self-defence moves that I can only half remember. She said to me that she thought about, quote, kicking him in the balls, but that she didn't have the opportunity because if you miss, your history as well. Before saying that she should put the dog away in the car, she'd also suggested that they drive back to her flat. She thought that she could somehow crash the car on purpose and escape, but he didn't want to do that. So anyway, he agreed that it would be a good idea to put the dog in the car, and then he said that they would go to a nearby derelict house, somewhere more private. So they started to walk towards where her car was parked. So when we were walking, he made me put my arm around him and then he put his arm around me with a pair of scissors still in his hand so against my neck, so there's nothing I could do really. But I think to the onlookers, it looked like um, maybe we were a couple walking in the park. So then we got to the car and, um, and there was a few other cars parked around there. It was like more like, like a driveway really, rather than a car park. And I put the dog in the car and um, and then something in me, I just I just couldn't go back. I just couldn't do it. So I just slipped away. I just took an opportunity, and I just literally just just got away from his grip. And I went running to a group of people that were maybe 15 feet away, not very far away. About six people were in their sort of 60s. And um, and then I went running up to them and told them what was happening. And then they wouldn't believe me. So what happened then was that he was standing there sort of shaking his hands and saying, I don't know what she's talking about. She's my girlfriend. We've just had an argument, that's all. And these people were just pushing me out of the way. And I'll say, no, 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 no. He's been sexually assaulting me and stuff. And they wouldn't believe me. And then he started coming back towards me and then whilst they were pushing me out of the way. So then I went running to, then I caught sight of a guy, another guy sitting in the car reading his paper. And I went and I ran to his car and um, I knocked on his window and then he gave me the benefit of the doubt. And then he got me, told me to get in his car. And as soon as I got in the car, my attacker ran off. And it was only that moment that the guy in the car said that he believed me because he didn't believe me to start with either because he's seen us walking arm in arm as well. Both her and the guy who helped her jumped out of the car to see where the attacker ran off to. Her attacker ran across a field and got into a car, but they never got the number plate because it was too far away. The guy who helped her suggested that they went to the police station and she agreed. She pointed out to me that this happened at a time when there was a lot of disbelief from the police about rape and sexual assault, but the police took her seriously and she said that she felt believed. I found out later that um, a week before he attacked me that um, a woman had been uh, raped and badly beaten in the very same park, matching the same description. And then about a month later, I also heard that a woman had been followed home in the middle of the night and, um, and then knocked on her door like at three in the morning or something and had also been left badly beaten and raped 
um, in her own house also match into the same description. So um, what I did was, um, obviously it was all very traumatic, um, but what I did the next day was that I made myself go back to the park again on my own. And um, I did get out of the car and I didn't go very far, but I just felt that I had to do it because I just felt that I didn't want a man like that just to affect me for the rest of my life. So I um, I literally just got out and maybe just took about 10 steps and I was, I was so, so nervous. I really, really, really was really nervous, but I just made myself do it and then went back to the car and then I drove home. And then really, I think probably for, well, for, for quite a while after that, really, I felt really nervous about walking out on my own and people running up behind me and, and things like that. And, and really, even to this day, I will never put myself in any um, danger. And I think to, to this day, I'm still very aware of um, people around me when I'm walking, particularly if I'm walking on my own. But, you know, I haven't let, let that incident um, totally affect my life because I just don't think that they have the right to do that. <laughs> so my instincts at the time was when I was walking through that woodlands, I felt that somebody was, I just sensed it, I just physically sensed it, that someone was following me, that somebody was there. Yet when I looked round, there wasn't anybody there. But my instincts carry on telling me that something was wrong. So I think that was the first lesson, really, in that you always should trust your instincts. And if something doesn't feel right, then don't do it. The, the second thing I think out of that was that um, my mind overrode my instinctive feeling. So initially, my mind said, I thought I should go to the shops and hang around there for a bit because it doesn't feel right. But it was my mind that then said, Oh no, you're just imagining it. So therefore it was it was my mind that kind of overrode that sort of feeling really. Because then obviously then he did run up and grab me and then that was that. <clears throat> and then the next thing was that, you know, when I did go, when I, I managed to break free in that split second and I went running to that group of people, you always have the feeling and the impression that you are safe with other people. But what the lesson that it taught me was that is that you can't rely on other people as well because they didn't even want to give me the benefit of the doubt. They they, they were literally pushing me out the way and, and not believing me what I said. There was, you know, as a 23-year-old who's just escaped her attacker and they wouldn't believe me and it was six of them. So, you know, it just made me feel, well, actually, you're not, you don't always, you're not always really safe either then really, are you, when you're with other people? because you always have the feeling that actually once I get to somewhere where there's lots of people, I'll be fine. But I think what it taught me was that some people just don't want to get involved. And that was really scary realisation as well. The police didn't follow up with her, other than she found out that a guy matching the same description had raped and beaten another woman. She didn't hear about it again. To the best of her knowledge, they never caught him. I think what was lucky for me was that after he initially grabbed me and because we started walking that I was able to calm down and because I calmed down, he calmed down and he was totally, totally charged and fucking this and fucking that and fucking shit. 
shut up, you bitch, I'm going to fucking rape you. It was all language like that, really. He was really, really charged and agitated and, and stuff. And I think just because we were walking and I was just talking very calmly, he just totally calmed down. It was kind of quite weird, really, in some ways, because we were just chatting nicely. <laughs> and, and then, like, you just have to go with it, really. You can't resist, really, because then that makes it worse for yourself. I think I always do this thing where I like I don't know if I'm if I'm ever attacked oh this is this is what I'll do I'll punch him I'll shout this I'll but like you like kind of went through all those options and you're like none of them could do it didn't have the opportunity to and what's really interesting is that I always used to say, as you just said, you know, when you chat with your friends about it, if it ever happens to me, and I always used to say, if it ever happens to me, I'm sure I will stay calm. And that's what saved me. I'm sure of it. This story is the horror story that you normally hear from great distances, from newspapers, from friends of friends of friends, from the internet even. It's not one that I wanted to hear existed as close to me as it does. But she's not afraid of telling the story. She thinks it's important to tell it, even if it makes people feel uncomfortable because it's not something to be hidden or ashamed about. I thought this was a good story to begin our five-episode mini-series with because what happened to her didn't let it stop her. She went back to the place where it happened the very next day. The fact that she got out of the car and walked around shows her courage and her determination. And it shows that she will not be silenced. is created and hosted by me, Anya Lawrence. The International Women's Day miniseries has been produced with help from James Goodison and Harry Bowflower. Iona Hampson designed our logo. Special thanks to Lucy Bickley, James Perkins, Ibitism, Ahmed and all of our contributors throughout the series. You can find us on Twitter at The19% and find our Facebook page at facebook.com slash 19%. Next time on The19%. As the policeman approaches us, I trip on the pavement and I'm, uh, you know, in a crack in the pavement. I look up and I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And then my mum kind of gives me this look like, don't speak, do not say anything. <laughs>